Thank you. Good. And I'm going to let you advance those slides for me. We'll do great. Thank you very much. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, my wife is traveling with me. We've been up in the Washington, Seattle area and then Yakima and and this timing was perfect to come down. Been out at Joe and Debbie's farm yesterday. Had a great time. Got to meet people, hear about missions, and, 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 and get involved in all of that. And this morning, the privilege is to come and open God's Word with you. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. Now, in your bulletins, there are some notes. It's not a, this is not an academic class, so the, the notes are real simple. And I, I see we have some children here, and I want to encourage you. I love... For you to draw pictures on the notes as I'm preaching and fill in the blanks with whatever words you like and know. And then I'd love to see those afterwards and you're welcome to show them to me and uh, talk to me about them. I sometimes get some of the best notes from children after my sermons and I'm wondering what do they think I preached about? But that's okay because uh, sometimes I get that from adults too and that's scary. <laughs> I, I've entitled my sermon this morning, Achieving the Boldness. I've been driving around a long view here and the area, and I noticed that there are a lot of people that live here that are not in church this morning. And I know that you interact with those people as you go about town, and I know from experience as I interact with people around the church that oftentimes they find it very difficult. They say, sometimes I... I'm somewhere in a grocery store, in a place, in a coffee shop. I do a lot of coffee shops over the years. I've had the privilege of leading a lot of people to come to faith in Jesus Christ in a coffee shop. N not the first time I meet them, I drink a lot of coffee, so I go there every morning. And over time, they just begin to open up to me. It's kind of like I'm just sitting there, and, and somehow they come in to order their very complicated 2% latte with extra foam, and da 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 da, da this. I just drink a black cup of coffee, please. <laughs> and they'll just have to wait for that, and they notice that I'm always there, and so they'll end up saying, can I sit there? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Been waiting for you. <laughs> And there has to be a boldness to say, I'm going to share the gospel with this person. I have a friend that owns a coffee shop, and I, I used to go in and sit there before we knew each other. And one day he walks over to me and he says, who are you? And I said, well, I'm Steve, you know, I, I drink black coffee. And he goes, no, no, no. I constantly hear you dropping little gospel bombs. Oh, really? Found out he was a pastor trying to start a church in the local area. And he said, you know, people just sit down. And there's a boldness about the way that you just speak to people. There are times when I do that and people get really angry with me. And I have to have something behind me that says, I'm going to keep being bold. Now, I travel around the world. We've mentioned Myanmar today. They are in civil war. I've been with pastors there. I've been with pastors whose houses were burned down because they were a Christian house. They're not allowed to build a church. They have a house. This is where I live. It's made out of sticks. Uh, they're the second little pig. They didn't do straw and they didn't have bricks, but they made it out of wood and they're just on a still. And the Buddhist monks here in America, everybody thinks the Buddhists are all peace-loving. Well, they're the zealous Buddhist monks. They don't like a Christian house. And so they burn it down. 
And I've been with those pastors. But you know what's exciting? Those pastors say, I'm going back to another village. I had one pastor whose house was burned down in the one village. And he said, you know, some of the people from my church told me about people that were in another village. I went down to that village, found out that we could have a, a church there, a house there. And I discovered that the people from the village I was at, they used the path to go down here and they always passed that village. And then people at this other village, they used the path to go up this way to market. And suddenly I discovered that this new village that I'm at gets everybody from this village, that village, and this village. And now I'm reaching three villages for Jesus Christ. I was with my field director in Africa, and Steve's been talking about Africa, and that's absolutely true. The, the, the primary non-Anglican, non-Catholic, non-denominational independent churches are primarily these crazy Pentecostal strange things that they're, they're just watching TV and going out and saying, I'm a prophet, I'm the apostle, and uh, our ministry we've got 25 churches they meet every week talk about the gospel they're in bible colleges and studying and training pastor onesimus and other pastors are teaching them to preach expositionally and those cult leaders hate them but not just them the anglican bishops and the catholic bishops they hate them because you're taking money away from our churches See, they preach a gospel that says if you want to go to heaven, you have to pay your quarterly dues and your church taxes. Are you all up to date on your church taxes here, by the way? <laughs> oh, you don't do that? Okay. That's what they do. You pay your quarterly dues. You pay your church taxes. And if you happen to have more money, we'll come collect more money from you. And that's the only way you're going to get into heaven. We come along and preach that salvation is a free gift of God. Those people leave that church. It's like a customer walked away. I was with Onesimus in March of last year, and a Muslim man had just come and talked to him. He says, I'm a security guard. That's the job that he does. Do you have a security guard? No? Oh, okay. There you go. Just want to make sure I know who he is. He was a security guard for one of the bishops, and he ended up going into a meeting with a group of local priests and bishops from this area, and they were talking about my field director, Onesimus, and they, they were saying, have we been able to pay anyone to bring a charge against him? Can we get anybody? And they said, no, no, no. Uh, no, no one will come against him. They're afraid of him. Uh, they say, no, no, he's, he's got a powerful God. They, and our spirits don't have much sway over him. We're afraid. We can't even get people for pay. And one of the bishops said, just poison him. It's easier and quicker. So the Muslim said, I don't understand Christianity. I don't really know anything about it. I thought you were all kind of on the same team, but I'd be careful where you eat in town. <laughs> it was really great because we had just finished building him a house and a headquarters, and we ate all our meals there. <laughs> <laughs> to go back out and preach the gospel, you have to be bold and have boldness. And so I'm looking in this chapter and I say, you know what? So did the apostles of Jesus Christ at the very beginning. And there are some examples of how they achieved that boldness that you can put in place right here in your church to reach Longview. And I want to share that with you. Chapter 3, Acts. You, you probably know this story. Peter and John were walking up to the temple they saw a man by the gate of the temple. And in, in chapter 3, 
verse 3 of Acts, he says, When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And, and he began to give them his attention, thinking, Oh, they're, they're going to give me something. He did not know what was coming. <laughs> and he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold. You see, even in the very beginning, we pastors were poor. <laughs> I don't possess silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Now, if you've grown up in church, you know he leaped up walking and praising and singing, right? That's what he did. He began uh, uh, walking and leaping and praising God, this man who had been lame for his entire life. Now, you would think that when people see that, they would be excited about that kind of power to be present in their, their place. But look at what happens. Verse 11, while he was clinging to Peter and John. So he's been dancing and singing around them. Peter and John are standing there. He's hanging on them and going, wow, I thought I was just going to get some coins in, in the bucket. And instead, I'm leaping and walking and praising God and doing these things. And while he's doing that, Peter saw this and he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Oh, there's a name. Peter has just laid out the name Jesus. That's the Jesus that was just crucified. That's the Jesus that many of these people, verse 13, he says, the one whom some of you delivered. Some of those people there in the temple had been the ones who actively had delivered Jesus into the hands of that crucifixion. And there was an underlying hatred of that. There were others, by the way, that merely disowned him. At the end of Sunday school this morning, Steve was talking about how our own American culture, we have a growing hatred towards Christianity. We, we have people that are suggesting that the principles and morals of Christianity are evil, not good. And, and we step back as Christians, we have to realize something, that we are coming out of a Christian morality in the United States of America where majority of people are no longer looking at the morals of Christianity and saying that is good. Instead they say you're taking away little children's freedoms by not letting me molest them. That's what they're saying. It's not just like in the back. It's the leaders of our federal government saying that. I come from California. I'm sorry, it's that weird place down south of here. Uh, we have a very strange government in place. The school superintendent has begun arriving at school boards, and he had to be escorted out by police at one because he continued to disrupt their school board meeting because the, the school board members were trying to say, 
we want to make sure that if children start being led into transgenderism, the parents will at least be notified. And, and our California government is just thinks that's anathema. That's horrible. That's what California's doing. And our governor, he went and said, we're going to fine this school district one and a half million dollars because you're upset about certain history books that we're making put in place and they glorify a form of sexuality that's perverted. And so they begin to look at that. And we as Christians have to recognize if we're going to continue to stand forth and say we're going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've got to be bold. We've got to have a boldness within us that says, I'm not afraid to do this. Well, Peter and John, Peter's preaching this message, and so they delivered and had disowned this person, Jesus. In verse 14, he says, You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a... Here's how the contrast was. Asked for a murderer to be granted to you. That's how wide the diversity was between they didn't just say hey we'd like to to crucify jesus and get this guy who's a pretty good guy just was misunderstood no they wanted a murderer and that's the way some people are when they hear about you and jesus they'd rather have a murderer than you in their presence when you speak about jesus so peter goes on to preach and in verse 18 and 19, he says, The things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, verse 19, Peter tells them what to do. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, you go down through the end of chapter 3, and you find out that there's some things happening there. He finishes the sermon, but let's look at chapter 4. That's where I want to focus our attention. So you know the story, right? In chapter 4, verse 1, as they were speaking. So, this scene is going on. Peter's preaching. There's a big crowd around him listening. And as those things are going on, now the sermon that we have, he might have repeated some of those things a few times. There might have been some people that interacted. He's talking. And as these things are going on, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them look at verse 2 this this is this is the description they do not look at them and say wow you guys have the power to heal lame people we need you in our hospitals nope they don't say that they come up and being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead and look what they do to them in verse 3 they laid hands on them and put them in jail. They laid hands on them and put them in jail. I have numbers of pastors who have spent time in jail. Some of them because they needed to go there, and that's where God called them to faith in Christ Jesus. Yeah, one of our pastors in the, over in Uganda that uh, had been a, a thief from the age of seven. He was an orphan. His family was uh, Muslim and and spiritists and, and 
just chaotic, and so he ran away and lived as an orphan, but became a very good thief. And in Uganda, they, um, they practice vigilanteism, so if they catch you thieving, they kill you. Done. It's taken care of. Well, he says there were numerous times where he got caught, thought he was going to get killed, but ended up not getting killed. And then, he, then as he tells his testimony, he says, and then the last time that happened, I was tied up to a stake. They had poured, gotten tires all around me, old tires, and they had poured gasoline all over the tires, and no one could find a match to light the flame. <laughs> now, that's strange. Because everything in Uganda is done with an open fire. They, they boil water, they cook everything, there's no electricity, there's no propane, everything is an open fire. And there was nobody, nobody could find anything to light the fire. And he's tied up there, he says, you know, Pastor, see that, it felt like a long time. And then he said, it was long enough that some police showed up. Normally, thieves are not happy to see the police. He ended up in prison, and that's where he came to faith in Jesus Christ. That's not the, he's not there because he was following Jesus. He was just there because God said, I'm going to get your attention, and you're going to listen to Pastor Onesimus on the radio, and you're going to hear the gospel. But I have another pastor in Myanmar right now, and, and uh, he's the son of one of our pastors. He had studied in school. He had studied the Bible, and he had just not done anything with his life. And the military, because it is a... A, a war zone. The military arrested him simply because he's a young man and he's not in the military, so you must be a rebel. So they arrested him, tortured him in prison for a couple of weeks, trying to find out if he was a part of the rebels, finally decided he wasn't. But God got a hold of his heart while he was in prison and, and he came out and said, there are many people in my country that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to go start preaching the gospel. So he has become a pastor and moved up into a village with just a few uh, Christian families. The rest are all Buddhist families. And he's trying to, to pastor the church there and working with uh, Solomon and some other of our pastors and men. So that's what they've done. They've laid hands on them. They put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, they're in prison, in the jail. They have no idea what's going on outside. But verse 4 says, Many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. That's a great revival. Now I want you to know something. We will not always know the result of the ministry we're doing at the time of the ministry. There are times when you will be working with someone and you're trying to disciple them and to lead them and train them and they just don't seem to be coming along and there will be all kinds of things coming in to frustrate you and to, to, to cause you to quit. Don't give up. If Peter and John had been in that prison, they had no idea that 5,000 people just came to faith outside. All they know is I've been arrested and we've been thrown in jail. And so as we're beginning to lay the foundation for how we achieve the boldness, I want you to understand, you can increase your boldness to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ by putting into practice four principles that we're going to look at. And the first principle is boldness comes by being in the presence of Jesus. Now, 
Peter and John are not in the presence physically of Jesus right now. But look at what happens to them. They've been in jail overnight. They don't know what's going on. Verse 5, the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. Verse 6, Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who are of high priestly descent. Do those names mean anything to you? They may not be names that are associated with Longview, Washington, but they were definitely associated to Peter and John. Turn with me just for a moment back to John's Gospel, chapter 18 and verse 12. Remember this? This is before Jesus was crucified. John chapter 18, verse 12. So, the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And Caiaphas was one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the others. Verse 15. Simon Peter was following Jesus and so was John. John and Peter were together when Jesus had been arrested and they are in the same place with the same people, Annas and Caiaphas and all the high priests and the leaders. But do you remember what happened? John entered into that place with Jesus because he knew one of the high priests. He was family. But verse 17, Peter, a little slave girl, now, sometimes, I, Naomi, would you be willing to come up here? She's too shy to do this. Naomi, could you just come? Could you just come right here for a minute? Just, just come right up here. Oh, thank you so very much. You're going to be a part of my sermon this morning. Does she look scary? <laughs> oh, okay. Joe is saying she looks scary. I don't think she looks scary. <laughs> I don't think she. But you know what? If you turned and faced me this way. Can you point your finger at me? Does that look scary? <laughs> no, no, not really. But you know what? When Peter was there at that place and Jesus was up there, a little girl looked at him. Thank you. You can go back and sit down. Give her a hand. A little slave girl that was just one of the keepers of the house doing things, looked at Peter and said, aren't you one of the guys with Jesus? And he collapses, falls apart, and says, no, I'm not. No, don't mess me up with those guys. The same place. Same thing. And oftentimes, Satan will try to discourage you by sticking you back in a place where you've had a failure before and go, <laughs> that's where you're at. He's the discourager. He's the accuser. And so what you have to remember is that boldness comes by being in the presence of Jesus and something has happened in the life of Peter and John since that time when Peter denied them and that little girl was one who just struck fear into Peter's heart. Jesus has now come in and indwelled them. They now have the presence of the Holy Spirit, which represents Jesus, dwelling inside of them. And they have completely changed. Look at this. They place them in the center. So they're taking them. You notice behind me? There's no one behind me. You're all out there. I feel a lot safer up here this way. 
You, you circle somebody all around, you got people uh, behind you and in front of you, and that makes it a little more scary. I got to kind of keep an eye on everybody, but I can watch you all out here, you see. Well, they circled them around. They got them all set up. It's a little more powerful than just a, a slave girl pointing the finger and saying, are you the one? They've, all the powerful people have circled around them. But then Peter, verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus has come to indwell. You have to remember that. That when you are going to speak the gospel to someone, when you are going to be involved in those things, remember that Jesus is indwelling you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You speak with the power of Jesus being inside you and communicating out the life and the gospel to whoever you're speaking to. Now, this is an interesting thing. Because they're filled with the Holy Spirit, but as they're looking at them, verse 13, we're going to jump down there. As they observed, the, the word in the New American Standard is confidence. In other translations, it's the word boldness. It's the Greek word parasias, so it equals boldness or confidence. When they notice that, they recognize something about them. They understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. Now, I want to just think about this for a minute. Sometimes people here at church, you might think, I'm uneducated, I'm untrained, I don't have a PhD in biblical theology. How many PhDs of biblical theology do we have in here? <sighs> okay. Well, pretty weak, huh? No, they look at Peter and John and discover they're not... Educated. It's not that they don't know biblical truth. It's not that they haven't been with Jesus, learned, but that's the point. And they began to recognize they're uneducated, untrained. They weren't coming out of the systematic training program, and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. This is an exceedingly important thing. When someone asks you, the mark of your church, is it more important to say we have a correct doctrinal statement or to say we are a vibrant church of Jesus followers? And now it's not good to have a bad doctrinal statement. I'm not suggesting that we should have bad doctrine. But what I'm saying is that we should have a life that reflects Jesus the light of glory shining out from inside of us. And we can do that even if we don't have PhDs in theology from accredited universities. We can just study and be with us. There's something else about being in the presence of Jesus. You have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You should spend time in those all the time. In my daily Bible reading, I do the Bible in a year every year, but I also have the book of Acts every day a chapter. I also read in the Gospels. I'm always reading in the Gospels, one or two chapters of the Gospels, because I want to remember that my goal is not just to be able to talk about theology. I want to live like Jesus. And I want Jesus in my life influencing me. And when, when people walk away, they might not say it to me. I don't need to hear it. But I want people to think, I think I was just with Jesus. Now, not me. I want them to think that they were with the Holy Spirit, Jesus, shining out from my life. And I want them to think that about your church. 
There's something else that you can do to be in the presence of Jesus. You can look around this room right now and you can identify people in this church and say, you know what? That person knows Jesus. Now, I can look at one right now. I'll tell you what. Pastor and his wife are people that know Jesus. I've, I've walked in their life long enough to know that they know Jesus. And if you will get in their presence, you'll be in the presence of Jesus. And that's one of the ways that you begin to pass that around. So Peter and John had not been formally trained. By the way, that's just so that's not a bad thing, who was formally trained? The Apostle Paul. <laughs> the Apostle Paul was at the top of the class, Pharisee to the max, Gamaliel, and so God can use both kinds of people. But I'll tell you what, we need to remember that we need to be in the presence of Jesus. Let me look at the second point. Boldness comes by knowing that you are in the plan of God. Now, they begin to recognize that they've been with Jesus. Seeing the man that's healing, he's there and he's standing right next to him. And so the, the, the Annas and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those guys are like, what can we say? I mean, here's the guy. It's like a, obviously a miracle happened. And so they just sort of shake their fist in their face and kind of try to be annoying. And, and then here's the response. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. Verse 20, here's the point. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. What they're saying is that you need to know you are in the plan of God. That goes back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus had come to them. They had seen the risen Lord. And before Jesus departed, this is what Jesus said to them. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem. He didn't say go be my witnesses. He said you will be my witnesses. And you will receive power. And both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Are you a part of God's plan? I want you to ask yourself personally. God, am I a part of your plan? God, was that verse when you told those disciples that I will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes into me? Do I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me? Can I read and understand and know your word? When I speak to someone, will it be your Holy Spirit guiding me to say the right words? Can I drop seeds and gospel bombs on people in a coffee shop or a grocery store? Or as my neighbors wander around, can I say those things? And will you take them and cause them to draw life in their dead soul? Will you do that? Am I a part of that plan? When you realize that you are a part of that plan, you begin to realize, I'm going to help God spread the word all over the world from Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the, the earth. I, I told you, I've had the privilege of traveling around the world, and I have indeed proclaimed the gospel on uh, many different continents. Um, in Rukinjiri, where I was at in July, that's 3,377 miles from Jerusalem. 
had the privilege to proclaim the gospel. The first Sunday that I was there, we had over a thousand people that came into the city. 78 people came forward to receive Christ. Not because of anything I'm doing. I was proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and calling on some of those people to do exactly what Peter said. Repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The Holy Spirit pierced the hearts of those people and our pastors came to counsel them. Uh, I've, I've preached in Tokyo. That's 5,685 miles from Jerusalem. A little farther. I've preached in Yangon, Myanmar, the main capital. It's 3,923 miles from Jerusalem. But I live in San Diego, a terrible little place down terrible weather, horrible beaches. <laughs> and that's where I, every day have opportunities to run into people that live next door to me and have opportunities to say things to them about Jesus Christ. That's 7,626 miles from Jerusalem. It's the remotest parts of the earth. Up here in Washington, we're about 6,768 miles. So you're in the remote parts of the earth. And you're proclaiming the gospel to Longview and you're spreading it out to places beyond that. So boldness comes when you realize you are a part of God's plan. When, we, when you believe that you're a part of the plan of God, He will lead you and deliver you and protect you and give you the message and boldness rises up inside you. There's a third principle here, and that is that boldness comes by using the power of prayer. Did you catch that? Boldness comes by using the power of prayer. <clears throat> when they got done after the threats it's very important to see what the very first thing they did verse 23 when they had been released they ran to In-N-Out Burger to get a double cheeseburger and fries no, that's not it they ran to the fish shop to get fish tacos. No, that's not it. When they had been released, notice, look at what they did. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, verse 24, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. Now, Robert made an announcement about some men's prayer. I, I'm going to pause right here. I'm going to make your announcement again. There should be a big pan of bacon there, all right? Now, have I got everybody coming now? Are we all signed up? You should have a men's prayer meeting. You should have a women's prayer meeting. You should have prayer meetings. You should have the ability that when someone is trying to witness to someone and something goes bad and they get discouraged, they should know they can come to their companions at this church and there are people that you will gather and pray for them. You've got to do that. Because that will accomplish the goal of, of bringing boldness to the people. If, if there are kids in school, kids that speak, they need to know that moms and dads and the church family is right behind them. I'm believing things that my friends won't let me believe at school or my teachers are against or opposed to. 
They need to know that when I come to the church, they hear me, they listen, and they lift their voice to God and they pray. And that's what they did. They lifted their voices to God with one accord and they began to pray. And I'm telling you, it shouldn't be hard to get a group of men together to pray. It should be the easiest thing at church. Last June, I was on a stage down in San Diego. I collapsed on that stage uh, with a, a, a pain in my chest passed out, ended up in an emergency room, ended up in eight hours of surgery. My family gathered and prayed. They were at my house. But you know what else? My wife was texting pastors all over the world. My African pastors gathered all of their churches together right then on that day, and they had overnight prayer services for me all night long. Nobody had to go out and tell them, come on now, you got to come pray. Oh, they just said, Pastor Steve is having some heart thing. And they all showed up and spent all night praying. My Filipino pastors got together and their churches gathered together and they spent all day praying. They didn't have to have Bible studies. Now, a pan of bacon will help you on Saturday morning. A good, strong pot of coffee. But it should be something that is just a part of the nature of I need to gather together and you should learn to say we need to come to one voice and say this is what we're praying for and begin praying for your government leaders in town, the good ones and the bad ones. Begin praying and saying, Lord God, we want you to pierce their heart and help them understand. And we gotta, we got to learn to say that there are people in our town that we're going to start praying for. We're going to pray that they come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to pray for our pastor so that he'll be strong and courageous and preach the Word of God and he'll say things to us that we need to hear. And that's what the people did. But look at their prayer. Oh Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Do you know that when you pray, you're praying to the Creator? Who is more powerful than the Creator? I'm going to speak it into existence. There's nothing there. Earth. Planets. Stars. The whole universe. And Psalm 8 says it was a flick of his fingers. It was absolutely no effort on God to create the entire universe. I was talking with my, my grandson. He was about five years old at the time. Sitting there one night and he says, you know, Grandpa, there, there are some people that don't believe in God. He's like puzzled. He was shaking his head. Don't, don't understand that, but there are apparently people that don't believe in God. I said, well, yeah, I, I know. I've, I've met some of them. He goes, yeah, but, you know, I'm, I'm really certain God is there. I said, really? How do you know that? He said, oh, Grandpa, you just look at the stars and the moon and the sun and stuff like that, and you realize that God's there. He created that. Mm, I think your daddy probably read Psalm 19 to you a few times. <laughs> a five-year-old can have that kind of boldness. And we gather together and we pray. And we need to be a church should be where people gather to be encouraged and they pray for boldness. They pray to the Creator, the total powerful one. Verse 25 through 28, uh, they devised a plan against Jesus. The Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? They, they, they attacked Jesus, the Son of God. And we know that. And He's the one we serve. And so we're not afraid of what people devise against us. Because we know that what they devised against Jesus turned it out to be the greatest act in the history of mankind because it provided for us the atonement for our sin. 
They thought, this is powerful. We're killing the heir. And instead, God said, nope. That provides the payment for your sin. And so they, they recognize that. And then, verse 28. For, let's see, let's 27. For truly in this city where they gathered, were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, there in Jerusalem, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever, verse 28, your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Is that not a tremendous and wonderful thought? This is the final point. Boldness comes by having the right perspective. Boldness comes by having the right perspective. We sometimes get into the concept of thinking that church and Christianity is like a sports game. And we're trying to look like the victors in the sports game. But we have to recognize in the perspective of the way God works, sometimes we end up being at the suffering end of things, and then God uses the suffering to accomplish his will. Now, if you've just stopped right there and you think, well, wait a minute. When they prayed, look at what happened here. Verse 31. The place where they had gathered together was shaken. And you go, well, we gathered together with our men's group and we prayed on Saturday morning and earth didn't shake. I don't know, it was... The bacon was good. <laughs> Ladies, by the way, uh, we don't have to do bacon for them. We do tea, right? Is that, is that where tea and scones? Yeah. My daughter works at a church and she says, we want to do some church beautification, so I think we're going to have a tea and scone party with us. <laughs> some of the ladies arrive and have tea and scones. And Oh, by the way, let's spend some time in prayer. And then let's go out and trip all the little buds off the flowers and sweep up all the things and do everything that the men don't see. You see, we, we gather together for those things, but, oh, the earth didn't shake. Well, the earth doesn't always shake when we pray. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you get together and you say, Lord, how will we overcome this obstacle? And you pray and you gather together and you pray as a church and you put your face before God. And then you say, wow, the entire hill just moved. The entire mountain is gone. The hurdle is over. It was accomplished. Sometimes you pray and you pray and the earth doesn't shake. Uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. That's the key thing that happens here. Because they had gathered and they had prayed. You have to have the right perspective though. Sometimes, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews great chapter that leads us into the chapter of faith. And I'm just going to, for closing time here, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll go to Hebrews chapter 11. It's the chapter of faith, right? And we always think faith of being, man, awesome heroes, the exciting things that happen in their lives. And then you look at your life and you go, I'm just boring. Or things didn't always come out with these marvelous things. But look at this, verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. That's pretty exciting. And others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. 
and they were tempted and they were put to, wait a minute, wait a minute. Super great faith people were sawn in two? That sounds like a loser. Oh, no. They were stoned to death? No, that's not the loser. Look at what happens. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Wait a minute. I thought this was the faith chapter. You know all the heroes that had victories and super things happened? Yeah. Some of them went around in sheepskins and goatskins and destitute and afflicted and ill-treated. And look at this, verse 38. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Tell you what, young people, you might be growing up in an America that does not like Christian churches at all, and you may end up going around destitute and afflicted and ill-treated and thrown in jail just for being a Christian. But if there's a church that's praying with you and you are constantly in the presence of Jesus and you are, are, are part of the plan and you say, I know what God wants me to do and what he wants me to say, you're going to do that with boldness and achievement and the world will not be worthy of you. Your great privilege and honor will come in the presence of Jesus of heaven when he comes and says, you were faithful, enter into your rest. So we have to have the right perspective. God can use even our weakness to further his purposes. So I hope this morning that you will go out and achieve your boldness. That you will be the kind of people that gather together that your prayer meetings will be fully populated and that you will gather together so that when people come back from experiences and say I need to be encouraged they know this is the place to be encouraged let's just bow our heads in prayer our Heavenly Father we thank you for the privilege this morning of opening your word pray Father as we reflect upon your disciples, Peter and John, that we see from their lives the experiences that they did, the way that they could gather to a church that was ready to receive them and pray for them and lift up their voice to you. And I pray that you will help this church, Coal Creek Church, be a church that is a lighthouse to the world of darkness surrounding them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.